moving from this either or to a both and mindset. It's a challenge, but yet it's an opportunity. This can relate to a formal degree program versus the micro-credential we talked about, STEM versus soft skills, workplace learning versus classroom learning. It, It really goes back to understanding that our collective success is ultimately determined by the individual adult learner success. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 349, which features a conversation with Christine Carpenter. Christine is Senior Vice President of Engagement at the Council for Adult and Experiential Learning. Established in 1974, Kale is a nonprofit membership organization and a leader in the field of adult learning. Kale was the original developer of the concept of prior learning assessment, or as they call it today, credit for prior learning. Salise and Christine's conversation is a feast of buzzwords and acronyms. Credit for prior learning, CPL, competency-based education, CBE, micro-credentials, on and off ramps for employment and education, but all they talk about is grounded in a real and lasting concern for social justice and equitable access to education and lifelong learning. And Christine's point near the end about the need for both and thinking when focusing on adult learners strikes us as spot on. Christine and Salisa spoke in December 2022. Tell us a little bit more about the work that Kale does and your role there specifically what you do to further the mission of Kale. Absolutely. Kale was really rooted in this social justice movement around improving economic mobility for traditionally underserved learners. And specifically, our goal was to improve the education to career pathways for adult learners. Our goal is that we do this both working with others, others being from organizations that together can support adult learners because we help them navigate the on and off ramps of education and employment. As I mentioned, we're a membership organization which reflects close to 4,000 individual members coming from post-secondary institutions as well as workforce development organizations and employers who really support our vision. Our vision is every adult can navigate lifelong learning and career pathways that fuel social mobility and community prosperity. My role in Kale, I'm really fortunate. I enjoy leading our overarching membership, our professional development, also our communications, because we really strive to provide services and benefits that support not just our members, but stakeholders and partners that we work with as we all try to build this transformative and equitable culture of lifelong learning, as well as this economic empowerment for all adult learners. I've had many years of experience with KL15, and part of that experience has been working to cultivate strategic relationships that support our bringing together of industry, 
as well as education. Those partnerships are really formative to helping develop this idea of how does employers, labor, workforce development, organizations, and post-secondary come together and reimagine how education, work-based learning, and employment all really fit together to, again, create that lifelong pathway that integrates learning and work. In fact, our tagline is linking learning and work. And I really appreciate that social justice focus. That's sort of where you got your start, where your passion is as an organization to really support those adult learners. And when Kale says adult learners, I think you have something more in mind than just age. So would you talk a little bit about how you define or describe the adult learners that Kale serves? Absolutely. Yes, you're right. Adult learners traditionally have been categorized primarily by 25 years and older, but we believe in maintaining a more inclusive understanding of effectively serving adult learners. And we try to view adult learners as they view themselves. That's very key to how I think we and our members and partners work together is that primarily adult learners don't actually identify themselves as a student first. It's long down in the list, right? First, their parents, their veterans, their workers. And so what we try to do is help broaden that perspective of adult learners in thinking of it as someone who is trying to basically get education to fit in their lifestyle <laughs> versus opposite, right? Education costs time. It costs money. They're being, they have to split their resources among all these other responsibilities with work and family. And so what we try to do is recognize that they're there to education that can be recognized as work-relevant competencies or that can be recognized as completing a very important goal. It's really understanding how essential it is in their life. Is it essential to their career pathway? Is it essential to a professional or personal goal? And come at it as how can I, as a stakeholder supporting them, recognize them holistically? And do you find that there are socioeconomic or kind of key demographics beyond age that factor in. I'm thinking, for example, about maybe first-time college graduates or other factors like that. Does that sort of play into how Kale thinks about who it's serving? Absolutely, because we know there's a lot of first-time generation college-level learners I being one myself was the first one to go to college in my family and complete. And then you have all these other from an underserved kind of perspective, or you've got ones that maybe are having situations around barriers that have to do with whether it's economic barriers, whether it's constraints around the fact that they maybe haven't been able to utilize or look at financial aid as a opportunity, or they're not sure how to connect to that. So there's just a lot that we try to open up our thinking to help everybody understand that there is possibilities for adult learners in helping them within their education or career pathway, but you have to think of them as an entity that looks at education in the very many possibilities of their responsibilities and not as the top one. And so your focus is on these adult learners, and that's very clear. I think at the mission, that's who you're serving, that's who your focus is on, but you're doing it somewhat indirectly by working with partners, these post-secondary education providers, employers, industry groups, 
workforce development organizations and so on. And so I'm just curious to know how you go about balancing kind of those members that Kale has who are helping adult learners and then serving the adult learners themselves. Are they ever at odds? Right. That's a great question. As far as Kale's mission, helping diverse stakeholders understand and embrace that alignment, we often refer to this as the intersection of learning and work and and how then you can see the ecosystem, right? You can see that if the learner, and in some cases you can say learner slash worker, is at the center then how do education providers, employers, industry, workforce development, how are they supporting uh, the adult learner at the center? Because we put that learner worker at the center of everything we do. And that's why I think it's not so much of balance from a ecosystem perspective of all these different stakeholders. It's more about how we bring those stakeholders to think about them at the center to create education and workforce ecosystem that then enables them to thrive in each one of those scenarios. So one example could be if we're working with an employer that really values education, how can we help that employer connect better to the other learning providers within that region or the other post-secondary entities within that region? And then how can that alignment of what the employer is looking to support align with what the learning provider can provide? And then because then this is where dirt learners really definitely spend their life. They spend their life at that intersection of learning and work. And so if all these entities really have a presence, then it's not only this imperative to support them, but it's also this imperative that how you're supporting the broader community. And then that broader community is being supportive of what we call this economic mobility, because then the stakeholder, whether it's employer or post-secondary, is benefiting as well as most importantly, that learner worker in the middle is benefiting. So we consider the demographics between the idea that there's fewer high school graduates that not only should prompt colleges to be more inclusive of recruiting and supporting these different types of adult learners and workers because it has implications for the workforce, it has implications for labor shortages. And we know that adult learners are really a vital ingredient to the success of not only the educator and the learning provider, but also the employers in how they're going to continue to support the future because the pace of change, as we all know, is absolutely accelerating. And that kind of brings me to lifelong learning. And if we can get all of those stakeholders around the ecosystem thinking about that lifelong learner, that you may have opportunity to enhance their particular situation now and later. And so that continual need that employers have or where we're at within the future of workforce is around upskilling and reskilling. And so I think it's not so much balancing as having all of those stakeholders see their role today and in the future. I like the clarity that you have around the learners at the center, that it's a very learner-centric view of what's happening and then bringing the other stakeholders to bear and recognizing that central role that the learner plays and how to support it. As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. 
The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you'll get leading links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business, the Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month, plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com slash inbox. I know that Kale has deep experience with prior learning assessment, PLA, you referred to that. And so I take it now that the more preferred term is credit for prior learning, CPL. So maybe just talk a little bit about what those slash that is and kind of how they work. Sure, absolutely. So yes, credit for prior learning, we have shortened that to CPL, is a term for various methods that post-secondary as well as other education and training providers use to evaluate learning that has been occurred or has occurred outside of the traditional academic environment. So outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, as you mentioned, still it's still referred to as prior learning assessment. The reason we talk about credit for prior learning versus PLA, prior learning assessment, is that we want to have it more universal as an understanding for that learner worker to understand that your previous experience could actually help you get credit for what you know versus the word assessment is more of what you do It's the process in which you can have the credit, but from the end user perspective, it's more important for them to see what, you know, the meaning actually could be for them. So that's just a little insight in the changing of the terminology. And when did you change that terminology? Do you know roughly? <laughs> it was last year. Last year, okay. We actually, and, and there's a lot of resources that Kale has to help explain this and provide more information that you can find on our website about it too. But going back to your question, you know, our deep experience in this and, and how do they work, it's that credit for pioneer learning is used to grant college credit. Uh, certification or advanced standing towards furthering someone's education or training. So this is really important to the concept of how to support an adult learner. It can be a very much a barrier to those that have maybe started in a formal education, post-secondary situation, came out of it, and to go back into it can be very difficult as an adult. So Research has really showed that students who actually participate in CPL are more likely to complete college and that they save time and money while earning a degree. So we have set up processes and policies and ways that learning providers and post-secondary institutions can embed this within their system so that they can see and help remove barriers. The more sad truth about this is that only about 10% of adult college students participate in CPL. 
we want to really increase that because CPL, we have a lot of research that it drives completion for all student demographics, whether that's lower income adult, black adult students, community college students. And so we want to help bring more structure and framework to CPL because we know there's a reason to have it support the adult learners with increasing their opportunity for completion. Well, that's a a powerful reason to support it just if it helps them get to that degree or whatever mark of having an educational credential there. I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about the role between CPL, that credit for prior learning, and competency-based education, which I know is also something that I think Kale talks a lot about and kind of how those potentially work together. Absolutely. I I think just first um, indicate that they do complement each other. And I'll just say competency-based education, I'll just claim it as CBE and then CPL. They absolutely complement each other, but they're very distinct as well. I'd say both approaches prioritize positive learning outcomes over seat time and can save students time and money that I've mentioned earlier. And with CPL, we value students' experiences by awarding credit for such experiences that demonstrate adequate to college-level learning. And CBE focuses on student learning and the application of that learning, what they know and what they can do. So a key component of CBE is understanding what the learner already knows in order to provide most of the valuable skills and create a personal path to that credential. I'd say CBE also focuses on prior learning, allowing students to parlay it into that personalized path as a credential so that both practices can serve as a complement to each other. When I think about CPL, it's absolutely embedded in kind of this trusted methodology of how you translate knowledge and skills. And so that has come from outside of the classroom into different competencies or skills or even traditional credit hours. So I I think about the combination of recognizing what someone already knows and can do along with a more flexible, personalized learning journey that allows these learners to gain, I'd say, value immediately and then progress towards a credential. So, So I think about that combination increases completion. It can also increase employability rates because they can meet certain skill sets required for certain employers, which are really both critical to that, going back to that individual mobility and and kind of the health of our economy. Well, I'm glad that you brought up personalization. And I do think that's interesting to think about how that credit for prior learning really is a way of, of personalizing then what they'll subsequently study or focus on as they learn and engage with courses and other forms of learning. And I think you've already spoken to this somewhat, but I want to ask just a little bit more. I mean, I think that CPL kind of ties to diversity, equity, and inclusion because of that saving of the time and money. And when you save that time and money, then it sort of broadens the potential for who can participate in a particular experience. What else would you say or or what might you add to kind of that relationship between DEI and, and CPL? Yeah, that's a great question. I touched on some of that earlier around the DEI implications, but one big opportunity in front of us 
is increasing the CPL usage among underserved students. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'd say the adult Pell Grant recipients, which we know is a, is a proxy for lower income students. In one of our research studies, they've demonstrated greater than average completion boost from utilizing PLA, CPL programs, particularly Black adult Pell recipients. Unfortunately, Black and lower income adult students were least likely to receive CPL credit. So, you know, this is this potential opportunity that's really finding ways to create more CPL opportunities really outside of this white collar work experience. We really can, we have the research, we know that we can use this to, in a DEI role, to lift barriers for lower income students. We, we collectively have to do a better job of providing this upfront as an opportunity. I was thinking that micro-credentials, and I know that's another area where you have expertise and experience, that it seems like those two can play a role in diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, this idea of kind of making it smaller and more manageable, which therefore might make it something that more people could undertake. But but what would you say about micro-credentialing and its role in kind of just supporting adult learners and potentially if you want to speak to the DEI aspect as, as well? Sure. I think micro-credentialing is a great opportunity to tip your toe in the water, <laughs> right? When you're an adult learner, maybe uh, you don't have a good memory of your first experience in college. So you want to maybe think, well, I don't know if I can commit to a full degree. So being able to show yourself that you can complete steps in the process of is great because we know that adult learners have growing concerns about the value of education. And most of that comes with concerns of not only the cost of a traditional degree program, but also the misalignment that previous opportunity that you had in education had with workforce. And so given that uncertainty, it's really not surprising adult learners really favor flexibility and multiple access points and stackable credentials really offer solutions in several ways. They can, they can be aligned with the employer needs. They don't lock learners into this linear, all or nothing trajectory. Learners can complete courses. They can earn a digital badge that really indicates their mastery of a specific skill. We've done work with employers who have embedded certain competencies and skills into the definition of the badge so they can actually see what that learner is bringing to the table. They might focus on earning a certificate, finish that then can help them finish their bachelor's degree because it's a stepping stone. It's the stackable credential. Really the whole point around micro-credentialing with the way that it works towards stackable credentials paves a way forward, right? It gives adult learners, workers, this educational on and off ramp that the learner really needs. Life gets in the way. And so if I can do a, a, a small master, a small skill, a small competency at a time, then that micro-credential can lead into all kinds of education opportunities that help in the way that adult learners are more likely to be employed today. I know there was a study by Brookings Institute that found stackable credentials were associated with a 7% wage premium. So it tells us more and more employers will look for opportunities 
that micro-credentials can showcase a skill set because sometimes the degree doesn't always tell you the skill set. Oh, I especially appreciated the point about the confidence that a micro-credential can give learners and that it can be sort of that toe in the water and building good experiences with education, which then might lead to further education. So I'm wondering about our listeners, learning businesses, and if they're looking to really better support adult learners, this kind of work that Kale is doing, what would you recommend that they maybe do as a first step or a second step to really support those adult learners? Right. I'm really excited to talk about some research we just completed. We call the Framework for Creating Adult Learner Leaders for Institutional Success. In short, ALLIES, our acronym, and our findings, they're available uh, at kale.org for free, so you can kind of have your listeners go check this out. But there's five primary themes that were inherent in maintaining a learning environment in which adult learners can flourish. One is affordability. Um, We've talked a little bit about the idea that, you know, adult learners are really cost conscious. You know, a lot of this has to do with how expensive some particular education is and the factors that go into making a decision for adult learner of where their dollar will most benefit their need. So affordability is big. Career connections and relevance, talked a lot about the fact that there's adult learners and workers that are looking for professional growth and development as really primary motivator for enrollment, but also does it connect to my career, whether that's today or tomorrow. The other, I'd say, primary thing that came out was academic empowerment. So we talked a little bit about adult learners need to seek and they want institutions that recognize their complete experience and provide an opportunity for them to manage their own progress and development. It's very difficult for somebody that's managing all these uh, responsibilities to say, I'm going to be in seat time at a specific time, a specific part of the day, and when maybe life doesn't work that way. So they want to be empowered to drive their own progress. Student support looks different for adults. So it's a critical opportunity for the learning providers to think about what is the adult learner's journey at the front end and what is it that they want to accomplish at the end of their journey? What support mechanisms are required during that time frame? And then we talked a little bit about DEI. So adult learners embody multiple roles, identities in their lives. Institutional systems and structures may perpetuate like this inequity in access and student success. So stepping back and really thinking about that adult learner in the absolute kind of situation they're in today and how does that particular institutional system get in the way of that? So how can you support them in in completing some of their goals from a larger DEI perspective? I did take a look at that allies framework. So I think that's a great resource and we will make sure to link to it in the show notes so that listeners can check it out as well. So when you look out to the future, when you're thinking about Kale's work, what major opportunities and what major challenges do you see on the horizon? Right. I think moving from this either or to a both and mindset, 
It's a challenge, but yet it's an opportunity. This can relate to a formal degree program versus the micro-credential we talked about, STEM versus soft skills, workplace learning versus classroom learning. It really goes back to understanding that our collective success is ultimately determined by the individual adult learner success. So flipping that, there's also huge opportunities for the industry sectors to engage more closely with post-secondary education providers and create, I'd say, credentials that we know today's adult learners need and desire and employers absolutely need. There's this growing need for training in a format that's attractive to learners because of the likelihood of a future career payoff, one that's flexible enough to let them complete their programs of study while balancing other life responsibilities, as well as how is it delivered? If we think about the next generation coming through, they're going to be really cognizant of what methodology they learn best from. And it could be that everybody, instead of getting a textbook, they get the Google glasses and that's every, all of their content is on that. I mean, it's something that we really need to think about is where that's a challenge today, but it's really an opportunity that fits a lot of the things that we're saying can be barriers. So I feel like we're honored to work at these crossroads where all these stakeholders intersect so that we can continue to support some of the today challenges to tomorrow's opportunities. I think that both and observation particularly resonates with me. I do think that there is sort of at all ends of the spectrum and then all along the way, just really thinking about the different options and how even something like you're saying, micro-credentials all the way to like the full-blown degree, those both could make sense. And it's not necessarily choosing one over the other. It's about where does one make more sense than the other and for whom does it make more sense? And so this is a question we like to ask folks who come on the Leading Learning Podcast, since we're talking about lifelong learning and all of that, we love to know about the habits and practices and sources that our guests use. So when you are looking to continue to grow professionally and personally, what are some of your habits and sources and practices for doing that? That's great. Well, one reason I really enjoy my work at Kale is that our organizations always have that philosophy that lifelong learning is important. It doesn't end, you know, at the completion of one formal's education. It's really at the core of what we do. It's part of our DNA. And so as far as my opportunities for habits and practices and sources, I come at it with that frame that I'm a lifelong learner. And so whether I'm learning at the workplace, whether I take a professional development course, whether I go back and, you know, finish a degree or add a new degree, it's really recognizing that I kind of have a natural drive to explore, learn and grow and learn. And I have that because I want to improve my knowledge, but I also want to improve my quality of life, my sense of self-worth, right? And this idea, that is where most adult learners are coming from. And so if I can continue to remember the why behind the habit or the practice, I think that's always helps me in my work and it helps me be inspired by the work that we're doing. I mentioned earlier, I was a first-generation college graduate. I completed my formal education as an adult. So I know how important it is to kind of have what you're learning deeply aligned with 
your career, but I also know the, how important it is to have it deeply aligned with your personal growth and your personal goals. What I think is challenging a little bit is that our world is changing so rapidly. This idea of you have to consistently be upskilling in order to keep up with the latest knowledge. I think about the adoption of AI. I think about what it means for some of these workers out there to continually have to be adaptable, continually, you know, have new and improved skills. It's a constant demand. And so I feel as though having the opportunity to remember not only that having practices of going to the sources that you trust, that you want to learn from is really important, but I think what's more important is keeping a pulse on the why, paying attention to what are the reskilling and upskilling needs in the country. And how can I be a part of supporting that in a larger way is really important to me. So I go to not only trusted post-secondary institutions that have a lot of great, I'd say micro-credentials, or they have a lot of great professional development type courses. I, I also love to just pay attention to thought leaders out there. And because of Kale having the ecosystem of so many subject matter expertise in this particular topic. We've got post-secondary institutions and workforce development and employers that are at the forefront of this. They value education. They're putting resources into how can they do a better job of valuing education within their entities, within their organizations. And so I love to follow and read from those experts out there that are doing this work and sharing the work because sharing best practices and what's working in different case studies is helpful to all of us, helpful for all of us who are trying to do this work to learn from each other. So I don't know if I've answered anything really specifically. I didn't actually give you a, I go to XX, you know, dot com, but it's more of the holistic viewpoint of why I value being able to learn and try to influence others with the same value. Well, I did ask the question about what, but I think to your point in this world where there's just so many resources and so much to keep up with, there's so many what's you could go to, so many sources, so many practices you could make part of your daily life. But I think remembering the why and elevating it up to that why probably helps then filter out of all those choices, which ones really do make the most sense, which sources are going to be useful. So thank you for that. Absolutely. For elevating the question from what to why, I appreciate that. Christine Carpenter is Senior Vice President of Engagement at the Council for Adult and Experiential Learning. You'll find links to the Kale website and its free newsletter in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 349. We encourage you to check out Kale's site as they have a variety of resources relevant to learning businesses, including that newsletter that Jeff just mentioned and the Allies framework that Christine mentioned when I spoke with her. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Salise and I would personally appreciate it. It doesn't take much time, and those ratings help others find the show. So just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a rating. And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note, or you can do it through social media. 
In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 349, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you.